This is the final message in this series, Repent and Believe the Gospel of the Kingdom, <clears throat> which really I could probably go for another couple of months on this because there's just so much. You know, there's, I think what I'm going to do is, is send out an email with a link to a strictly a New Covenant series that we did, I don't know, it was probably a year and a half, two years ago by now, that walks through the tenets of the New Covenant, just so that you have that in your mind. If you wanted to go back and listen to those messages again about what the New Covenant actually is, you know, this is actually the seventh message. And so if, you, if you're first time here or you're watching online for the first time or you've missed some of these, I, I really encourage you to go back. Um, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to review today. But I do want to start with this idea. You know, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about this. This was on my heart. You know, the gospel is not, it's not an effort to make bad people good. Let me just kind of pause for a second. You know, we're going to reset here because I want you to think about what it is. You know, so much of Christianity has been delivered to us in such a way as if it's a self-help program. As if you get saved, now obey, because before you were just an old, dirty, worthless, oh, disobedient dog, and now you're still disobedient, worthless, and ugly to God, is what religion would say to you, untrue. He cleans you up. But it's almost as if you get this sense of, okay, yes, believe and obey, as if obeying keeps you saved. Like there's such an emphasis on obedience as if you get saved by grace through faith, but you stay saved by obedience. You stay saved by trying really hard not to continue in sin. Now, should we continue in sin? No. It will bring death into your life, and it hardens your heart toward God. Stay away from it. But there's just such an emphasis in the body of Christ on, all right, you've gotten saved now, now that you're born again. Now... You need to obey God because before you couldn't, but now you can and all the emphasis is on that. Well, if you really truly understand what grace is and you really grasp the gospel in, the, in understanding the finished work of what he's done in you to change you, you realize obedience is a fruit of desire that comes out of you. If you feel like you have to obey God out of an obligation, you need to repent and believe the good news. In other words, change the way that you're thinking and believe the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is you are no longer under obligation to be in right standing with God based on your behavior. That doesn't mean you should go and continue in reckless, destructive, sinful behavior. In fact, when you're truly under grace, which is the next series that we're going to go into in March, it changes your desires. But, I, you know, I just wanted to say it's not, it's not, a, it's not like... So if you feel like your Christianity is focused on and your repentance is focused on, I need to repent away from sin and try to do better. I mean, how many of you are raised with that mindset? Repentance means I'm going to try to do better. It's not that. Repentance is, here's, here, this is the, it's funny, I woke up with this picture in my mind this morning. This is what repentance is. Imagine if I were over there sitting on the floor banging my head against the wall as hard as I could. Like, just imagine that for a minute. What would it sound like? That's concrete, by the way, that wall. That's the back wall of the building. Yeah. 
what would I be saying? What would I be thinking? Wouldn't be thinking. I'd be thinking, ouch, right? Repentance is, I'm sitting there banging my head up against the wall. Repentance is this. This isn't good for me. I think I'm going to stop. I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk and I'm going to go get some food and have a drink of water and quit banging my head against the wall. Repentance is not, oh, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me for banging my head against the wall? Banging my head against the wall is just a dumb choice I was making. And it was eventually leading to probably Dane Bramage. You see what I'm saying? Repentance is not when you convince God how sorry you are, and then he says, okay, now I can love you. Now I can show you my favor. Repentance is when you choose to walk away from what's killing you. That's right. And you turn to him for help. And he says, finally, I have way more help for you, grace, than your desire or your temptation to continue banging your head against the wall. Stop doing that. It's not good for you. It's killing you. It's hurting you. The people that love you are sitting there watching you do that going, what are you doing, you dummy? Stop it. Repentance is not going to God and saying, convincing him how sorry you are, and then he chooses to forgive you. It's walking away from destruction. It's changing a way of thinking. Repentance is recognizing this is not, this path that I'm on is destructive. I need to go and find out what God says about this as aspect of my life, this facet of life, and walk that path. That's obedience. Obedience is my way's not working. His way works. I'm going to go find the, whatever it takes for me to walk his path because along his path is righteousness, peace, and joy. Along his path is favor and blessing. Along his path, I will find serendipitously all of those promises that he has for me. But if I'm over here banging my head against the wall, staying stuck in sin, destroying myself, destroying my life, I'm not going to hear from him and see those good things that he has for me. All the while he's sitting there looking at me going, it doesn't have to be this way. I've got a better way. Come with me. Follow me. Walk with me. I'll show you how to take a rest. I'll show you how to experience the benefit and the fruits of what I've given you. Amen? Amen. Don't ever be afraid to turn away from your sin and go toward God because you think He's going to condemn you and judge you. He has already judged Christ. Amen. He put Him on trial. He judged Him, and He executed the penalty in Christ. Not so that you could continue in sin, but so that... Nothing was in the way now for you to go to him for help because you need help. You know that, right? Should I have you say it? I need help. <laughs> but I just saw that picture. It's like, man, we're so, we're so legalistic in our thinking of Christianity that we just need to change some of the ways that we're thinking. In fact, repent. So... This whole series is really based on this idea, Mark 1.15. This is Jesus. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, meaning the beginning, the, the inauguration of Christ, of God's kingdom began with Jesus in the earth. It continues through you. He reigns through you until all his enemies are made his footstool, the last one being death. Then he hands over the kingdom to the Father. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back for him to initiate his kingdom. 
right now. He's ruling and reigning in the earth through his body. Amen. Now, there is a point in time where there is that final judgment. There is that end, the resurrection, where we get these glorified bodies and it tips over and there is no more death and destruction. But his kingdom is now. His kingdom is like leaven in a dough, in a lump of dough, and it's working its way through. And that's why we continue to do this. That's why we gather. It's why we do what we do is to let that kingdom continue to work through us and, and, and move out toward others and bring the love of God to others. Sarah and I went to um, a restaurant slash bar a Friday night while we were waiting for to pick up Reese. Uh, the, the teenagers went bowling. They had a great time. And it had been a while since we'd been out that late what, 7.30? <laughs> we eat early. But anyway, and it's like, listen, I, there's no condemnation here, but, but it, was, it, was, it was an environment that it, it's been a minute, you know what I mean? And so the crowd that starts the transition in... It wasn't a bar, though. It's a restaurant. Well, but it kind of turns into a bar. You name it. Yeah, grazing here. I don't know. Anyway, but the 40s and 50s crowd, it's interesting. <laughs> Let me just say, it made me want to it made me want to organize some type of evangelistic outreach on Friday nights to <laughs> that place. Well, because you just see people, you know, you see these guys come in and they're standing there and they got their beer and they're all dressed up and they're like looking around, everybody's looking around. What do we? And just lonely, you know, just wanting. And some of them probably just don't know any better. It's like, I need to go somewhere to find somebody. If you go to those places and you're looking for somebody, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm really not. But, but you just see the state of mind of people. And you see the desperation in their eyes. Some of them are the life of the party. They're still living like they're in high school. You know what I mean? You can spot those pretty easy too. But I, re I sound really judgmental right now. I'm re I'm really I'm re I swear I'm not trying to be. I, I really am not. But I just recognize People need Jesus. Yes. And some of those people may have been in church this morning. Some of you probably great people just going out and having a good time, whatever, going to see a band, that's fine. You know, I, I, but, but you could see some of them looking for something. And the world needs to know. And unfortunately, what the church has given most people is an expectation of you can't have fun anymore. You got to go into the church and be dull and try really hard to do good, but God doesn't really like you anyway. He's just waiting for a moment to cut you off, right? God is interested in saving people. He's not looking for an opportunity to reject you. Why would He send Jesus if He wanted to reject you? He sent Jesus to save you, to, to give you an inheritance. And, and what Jesus came to give us is what we need to repent toward, this great inheritance that we have in Him. And we went through a lot of Scripture last week in detail about what this inheritance is. So much of, you know, it's like when you think of the new covenant, you have to think of it this way. God sat down and wrote out His... Anybody ever prepared a will for your children? A couple people. Parents, you need to do that. Just go ahead and get it done. You might think, well, I don't have anything. It feels weird, but go ahead and do it. I mean, anybody ever received something as an inheritance? Yeah. And you, you don't really realize it until 
you think about it like once you go through the process, if you've received something, then you go through the process. You're like, this is detailed. This person like sat down and wrote every, they thought about I'm going to die. And when I die, I'm writing down what's going to happen with my stuff. And I'm specifically thinking of these people in mind, mostly children, right? That's what God did for us. It is God's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. It is God's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. It's what he wants for us. He wants us to receive and inherit everything that he has like any good father would. So the new covenant is God's last will and testament written in the blood of Christ to you. Now, you can't live up to it because you weren't a child worthy in his family, but Christ was on your behalf. It's like a rigged system. You can't be rejected in Christ. He sat down and he wrote out everything he wants for you to have. Peace with him first and foremost. He just moves everything out of the way so that you are no longer, there's nothing else that God has to hold against you because it's all been taken care of in Christ. Now, should you continue in sin? No. Then you end up like the prodigal son out in the pig slop thinking that it's party time and then later on you realize, well, that's dumb. I probably should have hung out at my dad's place the whole time. You know what I mean? It's an inheritance that we have in him. Just, just that shift of thinking about the new covenant and, and the, the type of relationship that we're in with Christ is a big deal. It's not about you trying to be better and do better. Obviously, the Spirit of the living God will bear fruit. Your life should reflect the holiness that you've been given. Obviously, we don't discount that. But it's almost as if it's like that's just a given. Of course, you should live worthy of the work that He's done in you. But most people are so fearful, worried about what God is doing, micromanaging their lives, that they never really fully open up their hearts to trust Him. You know, we, we've got all these walls and guards up against God because we're, we're not really close to Him and we're kind of afraid of Him. We don't really know His heart toward us, so therefore we never really fully surrender to Him. That's what we have. We have a bunch of... Pr- from a heart perspective, a bunch of prodigals in the church. People that are distanced from God, they recognize that that's their dad, but he's probably mad at them. That's garbage. It's absolute garbage. And it's why we exist, and it's why we're all called to carry this gospel into the world in whatever area that looks like. Amen? That's the mandate of this place. It's, it's on our lives to carry the gospel to the nations, to our homes, to our families, to the bar that you go watch a band at at 7.30 on a Friday night. Whatever. whatever. You know, I mean, there are ministries where ex-dancers, uh, you know, girl dancers leave that industry and get saved, and then they'll go back to those places and minister to the girls at those places. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff, man. That, that's, that, that's where the gospel needs to be. You know, this, this I'm value church. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? I'm not trying to dog church. I'm just saying church needs to get outside of us into our lives. And it's not just door knocking and cold witnessing, but 
be ready. Be ready to share the gospel. And that's what we're doing. We're just refreshing what's, what is the gospel, Un, you know, affirming who we are. So today, uh, I want to talk about the blood of Christ. And then I want to... Th- there's a troubling passage in Hebrews 10 that I want to look at. Uh, I'm going to read you something in, from a commentary that sheds light on it. But it also reveals how wrong most of the church has gotten this idea of continuing in sin. So, ready? Let's start with looking at a couple passages. I know that sounds like I preached a sermon already, and I did, but this, this, is, this, is, this is the fuel for your meditation this week, is to think about these passages. So, so there, is, there is a warning in what we're going to look at, but there's also good news. It's not really good news, bad news, as much as it is, oh, now I understand that, but then it's also a call to remain in the faith. So, but it's all about the blood. Um, when Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews, there's kind of a theological debate in Christianity who wrote Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews is writing to Jews, the Jewish mindset that understands sacrifice, understands the Levitical priesthood, and understands atonement and all of that kind of stuff. So much of it, I, I mean, I, Hebrews is so rich. It's really one of my favorite books. He spends so much time going through, juxtaposing the old with the fulfillment in the new in Christ. Remember how it used to be like this, but now look at Christ. He is the fulfillment in this. From here forward, go this way, because the blood of Christ is everything. So God does not, He desires mercy over sacrifice, and now He can have mercy because there's one sacrifice that's been offered. No longer do we have to go continually offering sacrifices you know, a lot of people treat repentance as their sacrifice. Like, like, okay, I've messed up again. Let me go back down to the altar again and offer some more repentance and then therefore receive some more temporary atonement until I mess up again. Then I'm going to come back down to the altar again and offer my repentance again, and then God can forgive me again. You know, that, you are forgiven once and for all in Christ. Amen. Amen. End of story. Now... I pray that you live well within it and you don't neglect that salvation. You don't trample underfoot that salvation. You don't take it lightly and still live recklessly. But there is no more sacrifice for sin. You you don't go down every week and offer God your sorrow as they did under the old. All right? So let's look at a couple of these passages. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We actually are righteous. We went through... I'll show you that one in a second. Again, talking about the new covenant, Hebrews 10, 9. Then He said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. And this, this is probably one of the biggest ones to get over. I think it's two weeks ago now we went over this idea but I'm just refreshing a little bit. Colossians 2.11, In Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision, made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ. Now, the idea of... So there's this spiritual... When you go to God to get born again, which only happens the one time, He performs this spiritual surgery within you, and He removes the body of the sins of the flesh. We went through in great detail to show 
that what he's removing is the mere human nature that is opposed to God and prone to sin. In other words, your sin nature. He removed it from you, and he puts in a new heart. He washes you with the blood of Christ. He binds his spirit to you so that you are sealed forever by his spirit. You are hidden with Christ in the Father. That is your identity. And I, I make such a big deal about that because when we think about God, and emotionally and religiously we've been told that you might lose your salvation, like there's a tipping point of sin and it's a, you're going to go too far and when, when are we going to go too far? And if you have sin in your life, maybe you were never really saved in the first place. That's all garbage because salvation is in the blood of Christ alone. And it's not just an opportunity. When He does this work in you, you are changed forever. And it's up to you whether or not you're going to live in the power of that new identity. Should you continue in sin? I'm not trying to discount or discredit the severity of sin, but we are saying God is not relating to you based on whether or not you sin any longer. You're a child. I mean, think how many of you have kids, and it's like your kids make mistakes, but are you, when you look at your kids, are you always thinking about their mistakes? I mean, most of the time you just enjoy them. You love them. You want to be with them. You want them to acknowledge you and be with you and appreciate the relationship. And you just want to be a family. You're not thinking about their mistakes. That's God. God's not holding your sins against you, checking it off as if, well, that's, that's the 499th one. Too bad. You're done. No, that, that, that's not how he's relating to you. I'm not advocating for a reckless continuing in sin life, I'm trying to remove the fear that you have that God is going to reject you if you make a mistake. He won't. In fact, the more, the more you're convinced of that freedom that you have in Him, the more you will trust Him and be open and honest and transparent with Him and allow Him to go into those areas that you think that you're hiding from Him. It's a paradox. But the more you know you are free, the more you want to live within it. it, it it's, it's, the le it's only the legalistic mind that thinks that holiness is a result of law-keeping. Now, now, theologically, they won't say that. But in practice, when they make people scared to death that they're going to lose their salvation, that's what they're saying. I want you to trust God, not be afraid of Him. That's right. When you, even when you do mess up and in sin and you go to Him, He, he reminds you that you for, you're forgiven and there's plenty of grace to break free from that. Then we, we look at also this idea that uh, this exchange, what we have, part of what we have is an inheritance in Him, is that He bore His sin, He bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds, we are healed. You get to determine if part of the inheritance God has for you is only spiritual healing or just emotional healing or also physical. He bore them in his body. I say physical, even though I might not experience all the time. Not everybody I lay hands on I see get healed. But I will not build my theology on what Jesus paid for based on my experience.
another part of it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. That's contextually when Jesus is talking to a group of people that have been generous. So the context is money. Say money. money. Not that you get to be selfish and drive a whatever you drive. You know? All right, so I need to get to where we're actually going today. I just, this is all just so good, I just can't keep, I can't, I can't skip it. All right, the blood. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, obedience is a fruit of God having cleansed your conscience so that you don't carry this guilt around anymore. You're, when you recognize that the blood of Christ is my freedom before the Father, that bears the fruit of obedience through me. Because I am cleansed, because I am holy, because I am right standing with God, I can go to God realizing that He has nothing against me, even though I might feel guilty about this mistake that I made, He has nothing but support for me to, to strengthen me through this. I'm not going to go to Him and He's going to say, one time too many. Now, you might not have that fear or you might not be afraid of God on that level, but I promise you, your friends and family do. They do, and they don't know that they do. You need to know the gospel because you are a carrier of his kingdom, tasked with going into the world and help people trust God so that they aren't afraid of him anymore. He's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Uh, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for where a will is involved, see, he's talking about the new covenant in terms of a will, something left to you, an inheritance. Uh, the death of the one who made it must be established. That's just language saying what God has for you, it's a gift of an inheritance to you, not something that you gain favor through you or obedience to receive from him. You know, this, this, this mindset that giving, like you better give money if you want to be financially blessed. See, it's twofold there. Giving teaches your heart to trust God. You should give. I think every believer should give 10% of their income at least. Why? First off, it supports the work of the ministry. But it teaches your heart to trust God. It makes no sense at all for you to give away that much of your money. But it teaches your heart to trust God. It doesn't gain you any more favor with God. If you don't do it, it doesn't cause God to withhold from you. And you're not under any obligation to do it. Under the new covenant, God loves it when you give cheerfully. But if you don't, guess what? He still loves you. You are just developing an old stingy heart. You get to decide which one you want. I'm not going to sit here and try to manipulate you and make you think that if you, that you've got to give till it hurts and then God will bless you and favor you. <laughs> Aren't you sick of that stuff? That's why, that's why the world stays away from church. That nonsense. Since then, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood. 
Say, I'm justified. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God does hate sin. God does have to punish sin, that justice side of him. But Jesus was the sufficient once and for all sacrifice for the sin of the world. Now, each person is now in a state where they need to receive that gift. Not anyway. let me keep going. So 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The emphasis on the blood, the emphasis on this is your salvation, your forgiveness, your salvation, your eternal security, your qualification for God's inheritance is in the blood. Say the blood. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, many for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 8, 6, But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is a mediator of a better covenant which is established on better promises. Hebrews 6, 4. All right, this, this is where we get into this idea where there seems to be a warning that scares the living daylights out of Christians. Legalistic preachers love to focus on this and half-quote it out of context but I got some good news for you. There is a warning in it, but there's better news than the warning in it. You ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say it anyway. but uh, Hebrews 6, 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away. That's the operative phrase here, fall away. If they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now, traditionally in Christianity, that has been taught that if you sin you're doing that. How many of you have heard it taught that way? If I sin, I'm doing that. All right? Let's, let's, so Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is also tied to Hebrews 10, 19, and I'm about to read a lot. But again, there's a warning, but there's good news. And then we're going to contextualize what is he actually really saying? Because this is a passage that has confused people confused Christians. And one of the reasons I wanted to address it as part of this series of the gospel is because if you know you should take these uh, passages seriously. We don't want to bend them and twist them and make them fit into something that we think that it means. But you also must read from the perspective of what is he actually saying. All right? So Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, having... Would you follow me along with this one, uh, Philip, please? Uh, there's a, about six slides here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, again, the focus is on the blood, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In other words, you can be fully persuaded that you can go to God because of his body and his blood. 
even when you've made a mistake, especially when you've made a mistake. We tend to hide from Him because of what we've been taught about God. And then we kind of start to feel a little bit better. We don't feel quite as guilty and shameful, and then we go, right? Don't you hide from people that you know will hold you accountable and will help you? You hide from them when you're making your mistakes. You stay away from people that care about you and love you because you're ashamed. Well, we need to go to Him when we're ashamed because that's where the healing is. That's what it's talking about. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much as the more we see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Have you ever read this and gotten a little bit worried? How many of you, let me ask you this, how many of you since being a Christian have sinned? I just want you to know this. All sin as a Christian is willful. You do it because you want to. There's not one sin that you do accidentally. Now, there are some things that you just don't know that's a sin, but you're still doing even those things because you want to. I, I'm not going to unpack that too much because we're going to put it in proper perspective. Anyone who has rejected, the language here is rejected. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Didn't say broken Moses' law. It said rejected Moses' law. Words are important. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. Talking about people who, who were saved and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Go back one just a minute. Now, he's talking to people who were Christians and being persecuted. That's who he's talking to. And they're starting to second guess this whole living this new way thing because a bunch of us are getting killed. That's the mindset of who he's writing to. People who were under an oppressive, anti-Christian environment and were being uh, legitimately persecuted and killed for their faith. And you had some people thinking, I'm not so sure about this. I think I'm going to go back to the Judaism stuff. So let's keep going. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which, is, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise, 
for yet a little while. And he said, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back. So again, that is a key operative phrase here. Fall away, draws back. My soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. All right. Now, we, we, we must take these passages seriously. But there's a thing in biblical understanding called context, audience. There's a few uh, theological things to apply. And unfortunately, a, a, just a simple reading of that, you miss what's being said. So that's why God gave us teachers. That's why God organized the body the way that he did because some study and go search things out and bring understanding to the body. Watch what this guy does. This is Ellicott's commentary, and he specifically addresses this is what was being said here. All right, you ready? It's pretty cool. Apostasy was indicated by a single word. In other words, the point of what they're saying in Hebrews 6, 4, and then Hebrews 10, the warning is apostasy. Apostasy is not just somebody that continues to make mistakes. Apostasy is says, I'm done. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I am totally revoking my faith. I don't believe he is the son of God any longer. I'm done. I'm going back to Judaism. It is that clear the mindset that he's addressing. So let's keep reading. These added clauses or other things said in there describe the depth of the fall whilst they explain the futility of all effort towards recovering the fallen. But the writer and his readers knew well what was involved in falling away in such a case as this. The good news I want you to know is that you don't have to be afraid that if you make a mistake and you sin, that God's just waiting to reject you and you're guilty and you're on your way to hell again because you've sinned. He's talking about people that have rejected and continued on. To this degree, it's very descriptive. Uh, they go back to Judaism, implied an acceptance of all that the Jews had said and done against the Son of God, a return to the bitter hate cherished by the falling nation against the crucified, a repetition in spirit of all that the Pharisees had done, and without the pal palliation of ignorance, in other words, alleviating it, uh, I had to look that word up. Next slide, please. Actually, yeah. For the highest evidence for Christianity that of true and deep Christian experience had been given to them. Again, the words used clearly describe a continuing state, not the punishment of a past act, but the hopelessness of an existing state is brought before us here. It is therefore of those who, with a distinct conviction of the divine mission of Jesus, have deliberately joined his foes, unite in denouncing him as a deceiver, rejoice in his shame, and thus for themselves crucify a second time the Son of God, that the writer says it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. He's warning people, Jews, who had come to Christianity, walked in the power of God, had joined themselves to the Spirit of God, and because of the persecution, have rejected it and gone back into Judaism, going back down to the temple and saying, 
The blood of Jesus is meaningless. This goat is my sin offering. I spit on the blood of Jesus. This bull is what gives me atonement with God. It's a rejection of once having known the truth, going back to the old way. That's what he's warning about. A casual falling into of sin is not what he's warning against here. Is that good news? It is good news. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? Thank you. It's weird how some people hear that when you try to build a case from this perspective. What I'm trying to do is cause you to not be afraid of God. You are going to make mistakes. Have you figured that out yet? You're going to. You are going to sin. It's going to happen. But you don't have to be afraid that God is waiting to reject you for it because Jesus' blood is your sufficiency. It is your eternal security, and it is that agent through which you receive from God everything He wants for you. Your obedience does one thing. It gives you a confident heart toward God. And as John tells us in 1 John 3, when your heart is confident toward God, you will receive the things that He has for you. When you're guilt-ridden and ashamed of yourself, you're hardening your heart toward God and you're not going to let Him help you. How many of you have ever tried to help people that you knew what they needed, but they couldn't receive it? Honestly, raise your hand. How many of you have tried to help people that couldn't receive the kind of help that you had to offer? You Like if they would just listen to you? Now, I'm not talking about some kind of codependent, you're trying to control them type of thing and you're the authority in their life, and you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about like they just need to obey you. I'm talking about you knew what would help them. That's, how it, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about sin. God knows. God knows what you're dealing with. Jesus faced every single temptation that you faced, yet without sin. He knows what it's like. He hung up on that cross and felt the shame and embarrassment for your sin. He bore your sin in His body. He has already been punished for those things that you are embarrassed to go to Him for. It's pretty simple when you really look at it. And what we need to do is unwind this emotional legalistic, mixed-covenant presentation of Christianity that it's in most of our churches so that it's solely fixed on Jesus so that we actually have a hope to live in such a way that those legalistic groups would want you to live. You actually can live above the power of sin. You're a new creation in Christ, secure in the blood of Christ, and you don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to run around worrying. I haven't heard any of you stand up and saying the blood of Jesus is worthless. I think I'll go cut a cow open. Which, speaking of cows, I forgot to play our, our Kenya video. <laughs> it's usually when I know when I'm done preaching because my mind goes. <laughs> but man, I'm just, you know, I just, I just want us. So let me, let, me, let me just, this is the last passage here, Hebrews 13, 20. This is the area, this is the mindset. This is the mind that we need to be of. Now, may the God of peace, 
who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So once you know the security of the salvation that you have, then you are free to actually look at this, and, and it's a joyful expectation rather than a sense of obligation. Like if you hear the will of God for your life, you need to be pursuing the will of God for your life, you're going to hear that one of two ways. One, oh, this this thing I need to measure up to and try to figure out how to do that. Or the other one is God has incredible things for you to live. And if you would but trust Him and yield to Him and let Him love you, that stuff will be fulfilled in your life without you ever even trying. It's just the relationship. It's like you're just in this groove with Him because you're confident in what He's done for you. We need to be confident. It might seem like Christianity 101, but I'm going to keep putting it in your heart and in your mind because the world out there needs to hear it. You do know that you're not coming to church just for you. You're coming to church for those people that you're going to be around out there in your life. Now, I'm not saying you got to be the cold caller where you just grab strangers and you start trying to give them words. That's fine if you do that. But when the opportunity strikes, don't shrink back. Don't hold back that word that you can give to that person. Even if it's just, can I pray for you? You don't have to discern some kind of message to give to them. Just pray. Most people, just the simple act of prayer and love toward them changes their day. I mean, it can change their life even. You know, I, I see God as like a, a, a loving force that is just looking like, like light, looking for an opportunity to get into people's lives. And we're so busy walking around focused on what we're doing and we're not participating with Him and letting Him... Partly we are, and sometimes we are, not to the degree that He wants to, but we get to be those speed bumps for people or those distractions for people. If you just take that moment and do something in that person's life, it gives them the opportunity to stop, turn away from their general sense of what you know, their head's buried in, and, and they might just open their heart for just a moment to Him, and then that change can happen. You know, we, we knew, Sarah and I knew going into the ministry that the power of ministry is really the Holy Spirit's power. Like, I trust the Holy Spirit for you 100% more than I trust me for you. Like, I'm, I enjoy doing the role that I'm called to be in, but with the expectation that I'm just sitting up here trying to figure out how to deliver these words in such a way that causes you to go, oh, yes, Holy Spirit. I don't know what he's saying up there. That was weird. It's not even funny, but me and the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Like the foolishness of preaching just for that momentary second where you and the Father connect and continue to walk from there. I think about Michael. Michael would come to me all the time after these services, and he would say, you know, you'd say this, and then I'd hear the Holy Spirit talking to me, and then I'd forget what you were saying, and I wasn't even paying attention, but God would take this, and I would just have the, you know, he was so encouraging that way. He would just grab me, and he would say, and then, and then, he, and then the next Sunday, he'd come in, and he would say, man, I was out, and I was having dinner, and I was having lunch, and, and I remembered what you said, and God showed me to do this, and then this, and I'm like, man, 
God used something that I said in this guy's life that reminded him to live out that Christian faith that he has. You know, I, I'll never forget that. That's so encouraging to me that he would, that he, and that he would share those things, you know. Man, it's, just, it's, it's easier than we think, and we walk around with so much guilt and shame and fear toward God. The kind of fear that we should have is reverential awe and worship, not to be afraid of Him. He loves you. He wants to work in your life. He's just itching to, he's just itching to love people through you. And He's better than we realize, and He's better than we think. And He's not looking for a reason to reject you. Yes, live worthy of the calling that He's given you. Yes, abstain and turn away from sin. But also realize... He's not just overbearing, waiting for you to make a mistake to reject you. He wants to help you. You're going to make mistakes. He knows it, and He wants to help you. And His love is the most powerful thing that will help you through it. And there are people around you that don't know that, and they need to know that. Amen? Amen. The last note, let's just, let's just be real and take the good news to people because the world is starving for it, aren't they? God is so good, and they don't know it, and we have the gospel to give to them, and let's do it. Amen? Let's stand up. Prayer team, if you guys would come forward. You know, I, I want to see that expectation of miracles and healing. If you have sick people, bring them in. We'll pray. We can't guarantee healing, but what we, what we know is that God wants our lives to be better. God paid for it in Christ, and we want to pray the prayer of agreement, lay hands on you, and watch it happen. And if you have people in your life that need prayer, bring them in. Bring them in. And we're just going to believe God and trust God. Amen? Not making any claims, but we want to pray. God is still in the miracle business. Even watching online, you can post your prayer requests. Father, we thank you. We love you. We trust you. We thank you so much for this great salvation that we have in Christ. And we don't want to limit you in any way. We don't want to continue in sin and harden our hearts towards you and limit what you want to do through us. We don't want to be bad examples of your kingdom. We don't want to be those legalistic people going and pointing our finger in the face of sinners. We want to love people. We want to show people the links through which you went to save them. God, we want your true identity, your true character to get out and be known to people. That you are a good father who loves people, who wants to save people through Christ. And you've given us gifts for the church all along the way, and we want to see all of that. We don't want to hinder anything that you want. We speak, Father, I thank you that you have people out there that... You are calling into this place. We open up our hearts to receive them to come in. Father, we thank you for that property and that building to go into so that we can just even increase even more of what we're doing locally and, and around the world to just continue to get the gospel out there. We trust you and we love you. Father, I speak life and health and blessing over every single person in this place. May a generous heart be developed so that we experience your blessing, so that we can be a blessing. Just say, I am blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you all. Y'all have a good week.